Welcome back, everyone. This is Discussing Who, and I am Kyle Jones, and we have a very special guest on the show tonight. But before I reveal who the special guest is, if you haven't already figured out from the name of this episode, let me introduce my co-host, Clarence Brown. Clarence, how are you? Doing good, man. Doing quite well. How about yourself, dude? I can't complain. I, I, I'm just kind of like, for some reason, all of a sudden in this episode, I just have this great urge to go to Atlanta for some reason. I, and I just can't <laughs> figure it out why. But Determinous we go. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's not Walking Dead even. Um, <laughs> but but corny jokes aside, because anybody listening to Discussing Who knows I love my corny jokes. But um, yeah, let me just go ahead and say who our special guest is. Alan Seiler of Hulanta. How are you? Doing pretty well. How are you guys doing? Psyched to have you on. Oh, well, thank you. I'm really excited to be here. I, I mean, I love discussing who, so, you know, this is the perfect podcast to be on. <laughs> hey, good. Hey, uh, you need to do a commercial for us. That was pretty darn good. <laughs> <laughs> that can happen. <laughs> All right. So here, here's my question, because anytime I meet someone who is a big Doctor Who fan, my first question just inevitably has to be, how did you find Doctor Who? What was your first Doctor Who experience? So mm-hmm. what was it? Um, I tell you, that story goes way back to 1982. I had a, I was living in Florida at the time and I had a friend named Lucy and, um, she would talk to me about this weird show that she liked called <laughs> Doctor Who. And it sounded kind of bizarre and I didn't really kind of, you know, get it, but she would keep telling me stuff about it. And, uh, we were going to go to a movie one night and I was, uh, I'd just taken a shower. I was getting dressed and I had, um, my TV on and it was on just for whatever reason was on PBS. And it just so happened that an episode of Doctor Who was running. It was, um, one of the middle episodes of the Stones of Blood, Tom Baker, first Romana. And, um, and I was like, I have no idea what this is, but this is like, just tacky looking and what, what the hell, what is up with this robot dog? You know, this kind of thing. So I picked her up for our movie and I was like, I saw the silliest thing on TV tonight. It was, and I told her all about it and she goes, well, that was Dr. Who. <laughs> Uh-oh. But, but the more she told me about it, um, the more I started to get interested. So this is leading all up into, this is like taking place all throughout like 82 and then throughout 83. And she says, well, I'll tell you, the show's 20th anniversary is in a couple of weeks. You should come over and watch it with me. So the very first Doctor Who I ever saw was the original broadcast of The Five Doctors, wow. which was an incredibly confusing start because you have, <laughs> you know, five different characters and they're all the Doctor. And that didn't make any sense. But I was completely hooked by that first time. I mean, I was so intrigued by the whole thing. I was, you know, my, uh, my, you know, origin story for Star Trek is kind of similar. I came in around that same time, uh, in 82. And on, in both things, the thing that really hooked me was that I was seeing a show for the first time that had this huge history behind it that was playing on and acknowledging its own history and bringing its history into its current storytelling. And that's something that really, you know, I get excited about. So both of those things hooked me in kind of the same way. Hmm. So can I, can I get a little bit off script? And I want to ask you in 1982, you know, we have the convenience now of being able to go back and watch almost every season, a lot of them anyway, especially classic. Um, At that point, how was it to, 
get into this rich history fandom and how were you able to go back and watch some of the episodes um i'll tell you what after uh after i saw the five doctors with my friend um she told me uh, at the time um our pbs station was one out of tampa florida and they showed doctor who in the individual episodes on the weeknights and then in the omnibus format on saturdays so i the this was on a saturday night uh so monday night uh, I just turned on whatever the next one was, which was uh, episode two of um, The Mask of Mandragora, and I just started from there. I just started watching, yeah. and eventually, you know, I saw the Tom Bakers, and then our PBS station, because it's an American PBS station, cycled back around to the beginning of Tom Baker, <laughs> yeah. and then I caught the Davisons, and then I don't remember if it was before or after Colin's first season, but eventually, at some point, they – added the third doctor so i got that and then they like surprised the heck out of me and everybody else by picking up the hartnell and troughton seasons ah. so i finally got to see the black and whites and uh when i first started watching the th you know the first thing that i really did to sort of invest in it was starlog published uh actually it was in uh uk it was radio times published the 20th anniversary magazine and starlog published it in america and I read the magazine over and over and over and <laughs> over, and it had like a little one or one sentence synopsis of every Doctor Who story from '63 oh, wow. up till um, little descriptions of what was coming in the in the next season with Colin. And um, and I read those one sentence descriptions so many times <laughs> because I you know I was like it just it just really grabbed me. It just like fired my imagination. So that's kind of where it all, that's kind of how it all laid out. So, so I have a quick, quick question for you. Did you originally at the conception or did your friend tell you, but when you were at that moment in the 82, 83 range and you're watching this, did you have the realization that the doctor was one person, even though it was several different actors? She did a, fairly good job of trying to explain that to me yes um and i didn't when i watched the five doctor um so it was you know and the poor thing you know we didn't have you know dvrs at that time and i was so confused and it was just a 90 minute run and i i was trying so hard to not ask questions during the show to bother her you know but i was like I don't understand what's going on. Can you know who is this guy? Well, he's the doctor. Well, who's this guy? Well, he's the doctor. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> Not what. So, but afterwards, afterwards, she, you know, I got to say, okay, so if if these guys are all the doctor, how does that happen? And uh, you know, the episode itself kind of gets into that because it mentions um, giving the master a new regeneration cycle. So she, you know, pointed back to that and said, you know, that's how. You know, well, I said, well, why did he need a new one? She goes, well, he was on his last one, and this was actually a a stolen body from a previous show. And I'm like, oh my god, this is amazing! <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, so Hulana was formerly known as TimeGate. So, tell us a bit about how TimeGate began and uh, how it ties into an, another uh, fan favorite franchise. Uh, TimeGate started in '05. And we were, uh, my friend Susan and I were working uh, for a different convention um, that had booked a one-day event at a local 
Elks Lodge. Um, this was leading up to the annual convention, and it was like two months out or something. And we thought, well, we should have a, a one-day standalone kind of thing leading up to that. So they booked it at this Elks Lodge, and then nothing happened. Um, it was my friend Susan who booked it because her mother was a member of the Elks Lodge and had put the, you know, had put down the deposit or whatever. And we, you know, the con ended up canceling the event, but the deposit was non-refundable. So we we're like, well, we have this space and it's reserved for us. We should do something with it. And I always wanted to do a Doctor Who convention. So I said, she was the head of the local Stargate. Uh, oh. fan group and I was I, I founded a Doctor Who fan group called Atlanta Gallifreyans and so we said well we should just do our own convention it's, it'll be a one day thing we, you know we'll do we'll split programming between Stargate and between Doctor Who and we'll just run a few panels and we'll do you know some games and stuff and uh, we literally this was two weeks away from the event when it got cancelled so we said okay well let's do it we had two weeks to plan and advertise this thing that we were going to do and we were like well what are we going to call this thing that we're going to do and i said well it's doctor who and it's stargate so stargates take you places so let's call it time gate <laughs> you know ours like will take you through history or whatever um so we had two weeks to put it all together and advertise it and we thought well if we have 25 people show up to this stupid thing then you know that'll be awesome and we had 85 people show oh, wow. up I know. So um, we thought, okay, well, maybe we've got something. It was a, it was kind of a tough sell at first because people didn't really understand the relationship between the two shows because at that time there really wasn't a relationship between two shows. Um, a year or two down the road, uh, Sci-Fi Channel picked up the new series of Doctor Who and they ran it on Friday nights back to back with Stargate. So from that point on, we started <laughs> to have people who were like, yeah, I love both of those shows. We should go to that thing. <laughs> So completely coincidentally, the very first TimeGate we ever did was on March 26th, 2005, which was the day that Rose broadcast yes. in the UK. Oh, yes. I mean, you, I mean, the, the timing was miraculous, you know, like you couldn't have planned it. And of course, the episode had leaked in the press, um, a week before that. So, you know, being the stealthy dude that I am, I had a downloaded <laughs> copy of it. So we were able to show Rose on the night that it had debuted oh, on the, oh, in the UK. Wow. So it, I mean, it was just so. That's where uh, it all. Okay. See, I wish that I could have like uh, shown a video right now because I literally got chills when you said that. That was too freaking cool. <laughs> It was a lot of fun. I gotta say, it was. There was like a, a pretty special, you know, electricity in the air. So let me let me let me ask you this. You know, your um, time doing Hulanta. This was two thousand five, two thousand and six that we're talking about now. You're just getting it started, and now we're all the way up to twenty eighteen. And your role is, amongst other things, programming. So, mm -hmm. how does one approach programming? Because Probably contrary to belief, it's not a two week, uh, you know, before the con. Oh, well, let me find all these people two weeks before. What's your <laughs> approach? And would you just tell, tell us some of your best stories from? Well, it took it. Um, it took some time for us to build a good. We started out with a good staff, but it took it some time to develop. You know, a few of the original people dropped out of, you know, a time or two after, and then we ended up getting some new people and it just sort of developed over the first, I'd say five years or so to where we got a really solid, um, group of people. 
and um, we lined up people to run each of you know a few different programming tracks. Um, originally, we had a Doctor Who track, um, and this was in 08 when we did our first hotel full weekend event. We had a Doctor Who track. We had a British media track. I mean, a Stargate track. I forgot. I'm jumping ahead. So Doctor Who, Stargate, and then we had another, a third track called Other Worlds, which was everything else that wasn't those two <laughs> things. So that if you, you know, if your best friend is not a Doctor Who or a Stargate fan, we'd still have something else for him or her to do. You know, some other topics. So we could talk about comics and Star Trek and Star Wars and whatever was happening that year. I remember one year. There was uh, a lot of rumor about there being a new Dark Crystal movie in development, and Atlanta is the home of the uh, the Center for Puppetry Arts, which has become oh. the the main like one of the biggest puppetry museums in the country. And they had gotten they had done a deal with the Henson family, and they had gotten this big. Uh, exhibition of dark crystal stuff. So we had one of the ladies who worked there come and, uh, and kind of talk about the history of dark crystal and the puppetry, you know, how everything was constructed and done, you know, and it was really, really amazing. So we've kind of been able to, in, in most cases, um, kind of been able to find talent in the local market in addition to uh, flying in people from England and, um, at the time, Canada. Uh, actors from both of the shows. So, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a difficult thing, but when you've got a good staff and people help to, you know, run these different, uh, programming tracks and I run our main programming, um, then, you know, if you've got a good people, then everything kind of falls. And at this point, we've had the same group of people for years, you know, <laughs> and, and everybody knows when things are due and they know what kind of things work for the audience that their track gets. They, you know, watch, Things that are having a big anniversary each year. So, you know, like the year that Lost in Space had its 40th anniversary, then we did something for that and we did a lot for the, for the Star Trek's 50th anniversary. And of course, for Doctor Who's 50th, we did a, a lot of stuff for that. So, you know, we just, it, I mean, it just kind of is about getting a good group of people together who care about it and, you know, know what they're doing and giving them the trust to do it. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, when we attended last year, that was a, actually the first time where all of we, we met our other co-host, which lives in is it North Carolina, or South Carolina, North Carolina, North Carolina, Lee Shackelford. So that was the first time we met together was at Hulana, which was pretty awesome. That is and, pretty awesome. And and we were immediately impressed by the number of panels you ha guys had. And from our experience over the past year of going to different cons, you know, most are panel based, some are more guest guest based, vendor based. Mm -hmm. So uh, what what is the goal in regards to how your attendees perceive the con when they when they get there and experience the events? What, what do you want them to leave with? A sense of having had a fantastic weekend, um, a sense of having been able to really leave the outside world behind and to immerse themselves in whatever it is that they love to do. That's kind of been our goal all along. The thing that I try to do is uh, we have a good framework for the programming that we do, and I always try to add new things to it each year. Um to make it uh, this where the structure is known and it's expected and you know what you're going to get, but there's always new things to discover. There's always something to do that you didn't do last year. Um, you know, and every year presents new opportunities to do cool things like 
Um, last year we had Jamie Mathis as the scriptwriter during the Capaldi years, and one of his episodes is uh, Mummy on the Orient Express, which everyone loves that episode. And we took our opportunity to do a sort of like a Orient Express themed dance where <laughs> we decorated it like you know, decorated our ballroom like a train setting and we um, played period music or modern music that's done in a period style. And it was we had like photo opportunities and we had people, you know, people come dressed in period costume and it was so much fun. So every year there's something new and different to, to do. And, you know, that brings in 2018 when you say every year has something new and something different to do. Hulanta is picking up their TARDIS and moving to another location, another venue this year. So mm-hmm. tell us about the new venue and what that's going to offer 2018. Uh, the new venue has uh, a lot more space than we have had in the past um, and a lot and it's um, kind of the same number of rooms, but each, all the rooms are bigger than we've had before. Plus, there's a a few extra rooms plus a second level that we have something going on in. Um, so we have a lot of space uh, that we're going to be able to grow into. And um, one of the things that we're doing this year that's different is uh, there's a there's a group that has cleverly named themselves. Um, wibbly wobbly timey wimey and they are a group that has that has put together these sort of like um almost exhibits of doctor who props and costumes and settings and it's all stuff that they have done themselves and they kind of create these little environments almost like one of the ones they have is a whole like tea setup where there's a a, a tea setting the table the chairs there are uh, props of uh, the Paternoster gang, and they're all sitting there. They have, like, potted plants. They have backdrops. They have all this elaborate stuff, and you can come and uh, you can first tour all their exhibits, but then you can get your photo taken. So you're in the this tea oh, setting oh, with oh the Paternoster gang. So it's going to be – I mean I'm really excited. We have two rooms in our lower level that, lower level that they're going to be able to um, – just kind of dress up however they want and they've got just all kinds of characters and costumes that you can interact with they've got a couple of ood they've got a couple of um the clockwork androids uh they're bringing their paternoster set up they've got all kinds of things so it's going to be really cool it's awesome yeah just piggybacking off that uh for hulana 2018 uh, who are some of the headliners that are going to be in tow well let me tell you uh our first guest that we announced for this year, um, months and months ago is Louise Jameson, who played Leela back in the seventies in the Tom Baker seasons. And, uh, she, I don't know if you've ever met her or seen her. She was at the Gallifrey one convention last year and she is a spitfire, but she <laughs> is just the warmest and funniest. And friendliest person. She loves doing these kind of things and she loves meeting fans and she has the coolest stories to tell. So, um, and she's got a lot of stuff going on right now with Big Finish. You know, uh, Big Finish is the audio company that has the license for Doctor Who. And so she's got a lot of Doctor Who stuff going on with them, but she's got her own, uh, two series 
that she one that she one is an adaptation of a TV show that she did in the seventies or eighties, and another one is a series that she has created and written that Big Finish is producing. So she's oh, really wow. got a lot of stuff happening in addition to her, you know, other career in theater, and she does still does television appearances, and she was a a lead on was it River or, or Holby City? I don't remember one of the one of the soap operas, and she was on EastEnders for a while. So she's got a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, in addition to her, we have uh, Rachel Talalay, who is an American. She's a director, and she has been sort of the key director throughout Capaldi's time on the show. She did each one of his uh, season finales, plus she did this past Christmas episode. Um, so she's, wow. you know, kind of like, you know, her one of uh, probably the best and most popular episode of. Uh, Capaldi's run was Heaven Sent, yeah, the, the solo episode, and that's yeah. her. You know, wow. so I mean, she and she's a just an amazing. She was at Gallifrey One this year, and um, I've been trying to actually, I've been trying to get her to Hulanda for a couple of years now, and she always had schedule conflict. You know, because she's she's kind of in demand. She um, has done. She did the. She directed the season four premiere of Sherlock. She has directed on pretty much all the CW superhero shows. Um, she's, you know, like Super, Supergirl and Legends of Tomorrow and The Flash. And she has a, a new Flash episode that she's directed that's coming up in a few weeks. And so, you know, she's just a powerhouse. She's a, really an incredible woman. She's very, very outspoken as far as issues of equality and women's rights and things like that in her industry. And she's just amazing. So I'm really excited for people to meet her. And I don't know if you know sort of like a an earlier kind of like cult film called Tank Girl, but that's that's Rachel. So oh. Tank Girl is one of her early – it wasn't a big box office hit, but it's really become a cult favorite. So we have – actually, we've heard from people who are planning their Tank Girl cosplays to come to our <laughs> – I'm really excited about that. Yeah, so have we. We have a friend, actually, someone from Atlanta who actually was a guest on our uh, most recent episode, and she is a big um, Tank Girl um, fan. She is looking forward to meeting Rachel. Her name is Nicole Mazza. Uh, well, you said that. I thought that must be Nicole Mazza that you're talking about. <laughs> Indeed it is. <laughs> excellent, excellent, excellent. Yeah, so I know there's a few people that are um, – that are really I, – I just had another friend of mine um, who just watched the movie for the first time this past week and loved it. So she's all excited about seeing Rachel for the Tank Girl experience. <laughs> so it's going to be great. I, I can't wait to have her. So I have Richard Starkings who has uh, been in the Doctor Who comic book world since 1985. He used to work for Doctor Who magazine, and he was a writer and editor um, on the Doctor Who magazine uh, comic strips. Uh, so he used to write – um, a number of those back then. And he's, uh, started a company called Comic Craft, which is, uh, they do comic book, they do lettering basically. And they do pretty much everything now. Marvel, DC, the current Doctor Who comics. So he's, he's got a, a long history with Doctor Who comics. And actually one of the things that we're doing this year, going back to a previous question, one of the things that we're doing that's kind of a new thing for us is that we have four people just kind of like by happenstance, we have four people who are big in the sort of comic book slash art world. 
for Doctor Who. So we're going to have sort of like in our main programming, one of the things we're going to do is the art of Doctor Who. We're going to have these four guys on stage and sort of talk about their approach to Doctor Who from a very different standpoint, from a visual art standpoint. Hmm. Richard Starkings, who's been involved in the comic books since 85. We have Kelly Yates, who is currently working with uh, – he's worked for both IDW and Titan Comics on the Doctor Who lines, and he's currently working with Titan on their uh, Doctor Who merchandising. So he's uh, got artwork and designs that have gone into their T-shirt lines and their toy lines. Um, we've got uh, Mark Maddox who has done – he's a big uh, magazine illustrator, and he's done a lot with Doctor Who magazine. So he's done like cover art for special issues and things like that. And a guy named Nathan Skreslet who works for a group called – it's he and his wife, and they're called Pixel Who. And they started out as sort of chronicling the history of Doctor Who in pixelated art. And they – from doing that, they got involved in the online Doctor Who game Legacy. And so we have comic books covered, we have merchandising covered, and we have um, gaming covered in this Art of Doctor Who panel. So I'm kind of excited about how that's going to be. So let's talk about, since you're talking, um, you know, writing and drawing, let's go into actual prose of Doctor Who, because you have written several books centered and focused on Doctor Who. My first part of the question is, what inspired you to write and then Go on and tell us about the latest book that will be available at Hulanta this year. Okay, sure. Um, it all started in uh, 2013. We were coming up to the 50th anniversary, and I was thinking – I started this series of – and it just started out completely innocuously. It was just a series of Facebook posts. Um, have you ever seen – do you remember the movie High Fidelity with John Cusack? His character is he like his sort of like personality quirk is that he's a list maker and the whole movie is based around his list of his top five worst breakup. Yeah. And and that is like me in a nutshell. I am such <laughs> a list maker. So I started this series of Facebook posts where I did sort of a countdown of my picks of the 50 best Doctor Who stories leading up to the day that the 50th anniversary episode was going to air. And. And I've really thought about it and I put my list together and I like, should this one go before this one or should this one go after this other one? You know, and, uh, the post got longer and longer. And after I did it, I thought, man, that was, I would, I should really do something with that. So <laughs> I basically exp uh, turned that, that series of posts into my first book, which was called Doctor Who's Greatest Hits. And it was, I you know, took all those posts. I, I, took that whole list apart and I reordered it and I reexamined everything. I, uh, the ones that I kept in, I expanded the entry that I wrote for them. I put together, uh, background details on each story in the book. Um, I put together a little thing that was sort of like, uh, like the next step from like, if you like this story, then you might also like this other television episode or oh, wow. novel or audio adventure. So it, it kind of like helped people to like branch out into the other realms of, uh, doctor. So it was a, it was a hugely fun process, but it also took a lot longer than I thought it would. <laughs> um, and then I just, I just sort of got the bug. And I mean, I've always been a big fan of nonfiction. Uh, things that I read are always like the nonfiction stuff. I love the, 
behind the scenes of the pop culture world, the examinations of pop culture, the you know the super opinionated lists of doc, of pop culture. So I thought, well, I can do that. So I just started from that first book and went on. The second one that I have done uh, is going to be out in a few weeks, and it is uh, it's called Facing the Raven, and it's a detailed examination of series nine of Doctor, which I thought was the best season of the modern Doctor Who show from 2005 on oh, for mm. a lot of reasons. And I kind of mm. detail all those reasons. Interesting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so, so let me just interject here. I, yeah. I now have to, because of what you just said, Clarence, I will have to buy you that book. Just FYI. <laughs> he is a Are big you? Clara fan. So um, oh, I, 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 I now have to buy that book. So just FYI. No, no, I, you don't. You don't have to sell it to me. You need to read that book. <laughs> <laughs> well, every read that. Book. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's sort of sort of the same approach. But this one I took um, instead of doing like a complete story, it's episode by episode. And season nine, the thing that makes it kind of unique in modern Doctor Who is that it's almost all two parters. So you've got these like all these great cliffhangers that go throughout the season, which is not a you know, very prevalent thing in modern Doctor Who. Um, so uh, that's one of the things that makes it a unique experience. Um, so I just took all those things and I sort of turned it into a book. And with that, I got um, I added like tons and tons of background detail on them, like where filming took place and when the filming took place, when the table reads were all this kind of stuff, um, what the actors were involved in outside of that one episode. Um and I got some interviews with some people who made the season. So I got oh. – I have an exclusive interview with Jamie Matheson, who, of course, I met last year at Hulanta. So that was an easy one to get. Um, I got a interview with Rachel Talalay about the finale. Kate Walsh, who's one of the prosthetic makeup artists on the on the show, uh, talking all about the Zygon episode and uh, Sleep No More. And uh, John Davey, who's one of the monster performers – on the show for the last since I think 2006, I think it is um, 2008. Uh, he did a lot in season nine, and so I interviewed him about. Uh, he did the 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 warriors called the Meyer in uh, the girl who died. Right. So we talked to him about that. So I have these interviews with these other people who kind of expand on some of the episodes throughout the season. So I'm I'm kind of excited about it. I'm uh, it, it hopefully will be out in a couple of weeks, and awesome. we'll, I'll have it available at the con also. Awesome. So so um, I want to ask you who is your favorite companion? <laughs> if that's not loaded, because <laughs> I know there's so many good ones. But... No, no, that's not loaded at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean that's impossible. <laughs> I, oh, oh, it's the possible girl. That's what you're saying. Exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. And I tell you, well played. You know, um, um, Clara, I, I do love Clara, and especially in, in series nine, I thought she was really, really well done. And Jenna did such a beautiful job with her in that in that season. Um, favorites, though, um, I've always been super partial to uh, Leela and Ace. Um, one of my favorites is Tegan because she was just a gripey, bad-tempered, you know, and I just was drawn to that for some reason. I don't know why she was, you know, there was something special about her. And so in that same vein, I'm also a huge Donna fan. Yay. 
Uh, I, and, you know, people were really, really put off by her in The Runaway Bride. And I thought, man, she's fantastic. She's like yeah. a modern day Tegan. I love her. <laughs> so then a year down the road, when they announced that she was going to be a, a, the companion for season four, I was so excited. Um, not everybody was, but she won ev- most everybody over in that season. I think she was amazing in that season. Um, I really, really, really love Bill. Like yeah. I just thought she was, and and she may even be my favorite modern companion at this point. I just loved her. I thought she was amazing. Um, but everything starts to me with uh, Barbara Wright. I just adored Barbara. So I mean, there's a million companions. I love Flip from the audios. I think she's just one of the most terrific characters Big Finish has done. And if you're talking about Big Finish characters, you can't do that without talking about. India Fisher, you know, who plays Charlie, one of the greatest companions of any format of Doctor Who. So, you know, it, I love all. <laughs> so I want to I want to swing back to companions because the book that's coming out, Children of Time, mm-hmm. is the companions of Doctor Who. And you're talking about the companions. So if you were to give someone who might be going to Atlanta a, you know, a sneak peek of the book of something that mm-hmm. might would entice them to want to read it. What might that be? Not only read it to buy it. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can stand there and read it if you like, but <laughs> take it home with you. Read great. it again. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's bad etiquette. It's buy the book. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is, you know, there's kind of a, there's kind of a, a trend where um, people are putting together these uh, anthologies that lots of different writers contribute to and proceeds go to a charity. And that's what we did for this one. Um, I'd always wanted to write a book about the companions, but I thought, God, there are so many companions, you know, that would take forever. So I thought that I would do, I would take, use this approach. And so we have about 80 characters represented in the book from all these different writers who basically picked their favorite companion and wrote something about them. Um, we have, um, we have some well-known authors. Uh, Keith DeCandido, who writes, uh, lots of, um, official tie-ins, Star Trek novels and Star Wars things and just all kinds of things. Uh, Jody Lynn Nye, who's one of a, one of the big fantasy authors. Um, I've known her for many, many years. So I emailed her and said, you know, look, would you like to be involved? I sure would love for you to be involved. And I'm saving Sarah <laughs> Jane in case you want to do her. And she was like, I'll take Sarah Jane. Um, so we have just a lot of people from lots of different experiences. We have librarians, we have, uh, an archaeologist, we have a couple of philosophers, we have a college student who is, uh, wants to get into writing and they've all like taken these completely different approaches to their favorite companion. And we have about, I think it's like seven, I think we're up to 79 characters represented in the, so, um, I'm going to add a chapter at the end to kind of talk about the three companions that Jody Whitaker will have for oh, her cool. first season, uh, which cool. we don't know anything at all about them <laughs> except their names or first names. So I'm going to have to find some way to, you know, <laughs> build that out a little bit. So that should, I think we'll round it up to 80 chapters. Cool. So, and it covers companions from television, from audios, from uh, novels and from the comics. So Alan, before we get into Star Trek, I've got one more question about the book, which is, are there any other contributors other than those that you've mentioned? Because I know you said you had 79, maybe 80 stories, but any other contributors other than what you've mentioned that you might could tell us about? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, some of the 
actual companion have oh. gotten involved in this, which I'm really excited about. Uh, the first one that I uh, approached about it was Katie Manning, who played Joe Grant, of course, in the 70s. And um, and I told her what the project is. And, you know, the uh, charity that we're supporting is an organization called Fur Kids, which is in Atlanta. And it's the largest animal no-kill shelter and rescue and adoption service in the southeast and so i told katie all this stuff and she says anytime you mention children or animals to me you've got me (laughs) (laughs) so um i did a we did a a phone call she was at her home in uh england and we did a phone call and i did a little interview with her uh so that's in the book we have uh, an exclusive interview with daphne ashbrook um who played grace in the 1996 tv movie and I'm really – you guys are going to be the first ones to hear this, okay? I'm really excited to say that uh, one of the other companions agreed to write the introduction to the book. And um, it's somebody who uh, has made his career his – that narrows it down a lot um, – <laughs> has made his career uh, working with animals and nature. And it's uh, Mark Strickson who played Turlow on the show. He's you know a big nature – documentary filmmaker now and worked with uh steve Irwin, crocodile hunter he's uh they got their careers started together he made all of steve Irwin's early uh series and films and things and um so mark being the well i'll say professional animal lover that he is and being such a champion of uh taking care of the earth and taking care of the other inhabitants earth and how he he's such a, a passion for animals i was so excited that he agreed to write our introduction um and uh he i originally talked to him last year about possibly coming to hulanta and he was like he emailed me just out of the blue like just out of the blue and i was like my god i can't believe i'm getting an email from mark strickson and so we were talking and he said well i'm just wrapping up a six-part series that i'm doing for discovery channel and I don't remember what the topic was, but he was in the editing process of that. When I talked to him this year about um, writing for the book, he said, yeah, I'm just finishing up uh, a three-part episode for Nash- – I think it's for National Geographic on uh, active volcanoes. And I'm like, what life do you live? <laughs> you know, where you're like going to active volcanoes and you go out on the – you know, in the – Australian outback and you go to the Serengeti and you do all these things. So he wrote this really, really sweet introduction to the book and sent a picture of him and his dog <laughs> to oh, go with man. it. So I'm, I'm really thrilled about that. So you have that news. Cool beans. And it yeah. makes, and it makes it us is. want to read the book even more. So, and buy awesome. the book, as we said. Exactly. <laughs> Spoilers. 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 So I want to kind of beam us over a little bit away from Doctor Who for a moment, because at Hulanta, you've mentioned before that there are different tracks, not just Doctor Who. You know, there's the Brit track. There's this, you know, more science he fiction. You say a track, not trick. Yeah, but I want to I'm taking a track <laughs> know, to I'm a trick, you know, <laughs> I mean, and so since you're the star, since you wanted to go there of the certain trick that we sometimes discuss, my friend, <laughs> why don't you uh, take the next question? Yeah, so I guess this is fairly simple. Um, 
Alan, what did you think of Star Trek Discovery? Oh, man. <laughs> oh, I didn't know we were going to go there. Man, I do, love Do we have it. time? No, we have time. Yeah. I mean, if you have time, we have time. <laughs> no. uh, I, the only thing that I was disappointed about, and, of course, spoiler alert for anybody who has not seen it, um, I loved Captain Lorca from the very beginning. Yeah. And I was so intrigued by the possibility, like in – Next Gen and the original series and in Voyager, we've always seen these captains of other Federation ships who have sort of gone rogue, who, you know, they're they're doing things that they believe is right, but they're sort of, you know, fly in the face of Federation policy and standards. But they think they're justified because for whatever reason, whatever the situation is, they think that they are doing the thing that should be done that no one else has the guts to do or whatever. And it's always a one episode thing and it ends with, you know, Picard or Janeway lecturing the person on, you know, well, we are Starfleet and we have our principles and, you know, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And then it's over. And I was so excited by the idea of discovery being captained by one of these people yeah. where throughout the season, you're going to find that he is not necessarily morally suspect, but that he, you know, he was given the mandate, win this war at any cost. And what does that do to somebody? You know, what does that, how does that change your mindset? How, if you're given the leniency to do whatever you want to do, how does that change you? And so I was really excited about um, seeing a captain as the lead on the show be somebody who goes down this rogue path. I thought that was so exciting. And then it turned out that he was just a mirror <laughs> universe dude. And I was like, yeah. yeah, that's fine. But I liked my idea better. <laughs> but I thought it was fantastic. I loved that show. And uh, the first mirror universe episode was just yes. kick ass. I don't it know if really I can say that. You can say that. Oh, Go, yeah, absolutely. Kick ass. Yes. And I, I love the characters. I, I think that, there's some, you know, bridge characters that we see and they don't really get to do much and they get a line here and there. I need to see those people focused on a little bit more and fleshed out next year because I'm really intrigued by them. But all the lead characters are just terrific. So, so I'm really, really loving it. So I want to ask you a little bit about the Klingons because they look extremely <laughs> different than they yeah. did in, in previous. So do you think the look is because of story? Do you think it's just advances in makeup and design? Kind of what? what you're feeling? I don't know. And I, I know that people want to reconcile this stuff and it's all, it's all, uh, DS9 and Enterprise's fault for, you know, cause, of, you know, when you were a fan back in 82, you just acknowledged the fact that Klingons looked the way they did in the movies because they had a movie budget. They didn't yeah. have the, you know, the kind of, you know, small budget that they had when they were on TV. They could do more things, and you just accepted that that was the case. Klingons would always have looked that way had they had that kind of budget on the original show and that kind of know-how you know, to do that kind of makeup. Um, then when you get up to DS9 and they do that flashback episode where they go back to Trouble with Tribbles and they yeah. sort of have to acknowledge yeah. as a story element, and they do it in an offhanded kind of way. But then you have Enterprise <laughs> who goes and tells the story of how the Klingons lost their ridges. Yes. Once you do that kind so of me, thing, then it's hard to do a prequel series and change that look to where you now have ridged Klingons, and it makes sense. Yeah. Having said that, I think they look 
incredibly cool. <laughs> they really, I think they just look fantastic. So I, I don't care. I, I, I don't, as long as the story is good, it doesn't bother me really. So, you know, cool things. Yeah. What so, did you uh, think of? Them? Oh, I, I personally love them, but I, I, echo all the points you said because you know a lot of a lot of the guys on our podcast we were going back and forth on how this could be you know <laughs> and you'll know how whichever way you try to put it it just doesn't pan out as far as canon yeah, yeah. so i mean you just kind of have to sit, accept it along with other things within the story that aren't really you know mm-hmm. fit within the line of canon that we can that we've had from the past you know as far as technology and things like that so exactly. it's definitely one yeah. So you just kind of get along with it, go along for the ride and, you know, um, kind of lapse your judgment a little bit and just enjoy what you're watching. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, they do things on the show that the original series could not have done. Yes. And this show set 10 years prior, you know, like holographic uh, communications to other ships, you know, and I'm sure had they thought of it and had they had the means to realize it in 1965, 66, they would have done it. Yes, you know, so I don't think that you can I you know, I know there are people who kind of gripe about it, but I just don't think you can expect a show in 2018 to fit itself into a timeline that was originally portrayed in the 60s and have it visually make sense because you have to let them do what they can do with current technology and current budget. And that show's got a huge budget. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It's so kind of the, funny. The other argument is if that's the case, then why do a prequel at all? Why not just take it, yep. <laughs> you know, a uh, hundred years past Voyager or whatever, and where you can do the things that Discovery is doing and it looked like it fits. So, Cal Jones? Yeah. Cal? <laughs> okay. So, so, so here's my thought. So, um, you know, if we can acknowledge that there are mirror, uh, that there is a mirror universe, then I beg to say, that there, we can also acknowledge that there is more than one mirror universe and the mirror universe that we are seeing is the mirror universe where Michael Burnham is from. So this is literally not your daddy's Star Trek. This is the another version of um, the Federation and maybe it's where the uh, technology advanced much sooner in that uh, timeline than it did in the other Mm -hmm. star trek perhaps Mm -hmm. and that would be fine except that the showrunners have clearly said that this is prime universe it definitely fits in with the other tv shows that we've seen it's not part of the movie timeline it's not an alternate timeline it is the cbs slash paramount timeline so they have put themselves in that corner, yeah. basically. Wibbly wobbly, starry trekky. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and again, I don't have any trouble with it, really. I mean, I just want them to tell good stories and have a good cast and produce a great show. And they've done all that. So I'm fine. Season two predictions. Any? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> I have no idea. Like, I'm, I'm, you know, they're on their way to Vulcan to pick up their new captain who's been assigned to their ship. Who could that be? I'm so excited to find mm. out. Um, and I'm sure it's not a Vulcan. I'm sure it's going to be somebody who's just like stationed there or that's a rendezvous point or something, you know, but I'm really excited to see what's going to happen with that. I am very, very glad to be certain that Michelle Yeoh will be back next year <laughs> yeah. as um, the mirror imp- empress. You know, she's, I love her. Um, I'm sure that, Lorca will be back. Yes. Maybe the because we we still don't. They've never said what happened exactly to our Lorca. 
you know, did he go down with his ship? Did he escape like the story has been said, but he's out somewhere? I don't know. So I'm sure that um, I'm sure that we'll see that again and we'll see more development on uh, the the main bridge characters. And I'm hoping in the background characters, too. Um, but for story, God, I just don't know. I just don't know. What's <laughs> it's been crazy already. Huh? Yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> um, I guess the. Klingon situation, you know, they'll they'll definitely pick up on how that evolved. But man, as far as like this, the big cliffhanger from season one, man, I don't know yeah, what the oh man, that dude. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I gotta say that the new model, you know, digital model of the Enterprise looks incredible. It does. I am so. You know, they showed um, an episode or two earlier. They showed uh, the fine. Uh, yeah, the Defiant on uh, like a computer rendering of it, and people griped because they're like, "Well, it doesn't have that bend in the you know pylons or whatever, and all this kind of stuff." And so people were like, "Well, if they show the Enterprise, then are they going to make it drastically different?" But they didn't. They made it look the same, but updated and cool, new and cool, and really sharp, and it just looks incredible. <laughs> so I can't wait. So they've got. In store for that. So let me ask you a question real quick. If you had to look at that particular season, you know, season one and, and how big it was and how different it was, did you have a favorite moment in that season? You know, of, you know, first season of Discovery? Um, seeing Andorians again, because I have been an Andorian fan since the first time I saw them in the reruns of the originals and, you know, next gen put a Andorian on screen once or twice and they looked stupid. And then enterprise came along and turned the Andorians into amazing warrior, you know, bad tempered dudes. And they were freaking cool. So I was really excited to see Andorians again, but honestly that first mirror episode where they find themselves in the mirror universe, they, and they, they show them, you know, like in the original series, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have done this kind of thing, but they showed them repainting the hull, yes. you know, <laughs> change the registry numbers on the hull. Yes, I mean, cool. that was, that was a level of detail that I thought was really cool. And they, you know, showed them doing the research on who these people are in this universe and how they dress. And then they made uniforms that looked like them and, you know, Tilly. <laughs> Captain Captain, and she was amazing. <laughs> oh man, Tilly's probably my favorite character on the show, it, but she's kind of like everybody's. Favorite. Okay, so yeah, she kind of morphed into that because yeah. I, I know she wasn't mine at first, and, and I don't think Cal either. And just as the season went on, it kind of grew on people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so Alan, I have a confession to make, and, and Clarence is kind of giving me an easy out here. I was very <laughs> tough. On Tilly to say the very least at the beginning of the, ep- you know, <laughs> beginning of the season. But yeah. then in that one episode, she completely won me over in, in that wow. single one episode. Did she not Clarence? Oh yeah. Yeah. You definitely changed your tone after that. <laughs> you know, so I mean, I did a complete 180. So yes, kudos to her. There was a, a scene in what the like maybe fourth or fifth episode where she and Michael are jogging laps just around yes. the deck. And she's talking about, you know, Michael's telling her, you know, to have your dreams and, you know, keep striving and you'll achieve your goals and all this kind of stuff. And she said something like to be, you know, eventually be a starship captain. And <laughs> she said something about, you know, her driving her Billy and, and flair. And she kind of did a hair flip. And that was the <laughs> cutest thing 
And I was like, oh, Tilly, you got it, girl. <laughs> I just adore her. And it's so funny because I brought this up in our cast, but she usually in times past, the or the bridge officers weren't really the comic relief. The comic relief was often, you know, a, a, a side character, you know, that yep. wasn't really a main one. But man, she she is really funny. I yeah. think my I think my favorite moment with her is when um uh we have Mira Giorgio coming in to say she's gonna be part of the away mission. And, yes. <laughs> oh, that was so hilarious. And I mean she just grows on you. I I love I love her. The actor is great. Yeah. Yeah, she is. <laughs> I wanna kinda find her around in some other things that she's done just to see what else she's offered. Just so I don't know her only from Star Trek. <laughs> I like to, you know, when I first got into Doctor Who a thousand years ago, um, it really inspired me to find other things that all of these Doctor Who actors had done. So that's kind of where, like, I discovered lots of other British television was yeah. just seeing, you know, like um, our PBS station ran – um, God, I can't remember the, who it was, but, um, was it Pennant Roberts, uh, who did, um, a production of Gulliver's Travels? And there was a character that was sort of like a one line quick mention character in the books that, uh, got expanded in the script and was offered to Liz Sladen. So oh. I'm like, well, I love Sarah Jane. So let me watch her in some, something else and loved that. And I saw Tom Baker in the Sherlock Holmes that he did, the Baskervilles, which that was really amazing. And then, of course, at the time, I didn't really – I don't think I'd seen the Pertwees yet. So Caroline John was in that who played Liz Shaw. And so I saw another Doctor Who person that I wasn't familiar with yet. But, man, I discovered all kinds of great things. So I, that's one of the things about Discovery. You know you know Michelle Yeoh from other things. Yeah. And um, so – yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, and of course you have Doug Jones, who's been the, oh, yes. the go-to monster guy for decades. And now he's like, you know, in a Oscar winning movie. Yes. And so I know his other stuff, but some of the younger ones I really want to see in some other things. So I'll, I'll probably, uh, do some exploration online or in a DVD store. Or <laughs> well, I think we have pretty much covered. Everything from literally Doctor Who to Star Trek. So what I want to do kind of as we close before or as we're closing, anyone who's listening, you can find this link in our show notes. But please visit Cosmic and it's spelt with a K, K K-O-Z-M-I-C, press, P-R, you know, and it's all one word, CosmicPress.com. Again, in our show notes, it will take you to all of Alan's books. And if you are in atlanta area or if you're in the south or if you're in new zealand if you want to come to atlanta <laughs> please do so you can find that at hulanta.com and also in our show notes so alan on behalf of clarence and myself thank you very much for coming on spending an hour talking like i said from doctor who to star trek with us we are excited for hulanta can't wait for may to hurry up and get here so thank well, don't you. Don't rush it because we still got a lot to do to get ready for it. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll give you April. How about that? Oh, I greatly appreciate that. Okay. Cool. <laughs> well, thank you guys too. I really enjoyed talking to you about all this stuff. All so right. maybe we'll get to do it again sometime. And oh, I can't wait to see you at the convention. 
Well, we can't wait to see you. And I, I know I speak on behalf of uh, Lee as well as Clarence. You know, we can't wait. So for anyone listening, go out and check the website out. Check out Hulanta. We also have links on the Facebook pages and uh, how to find out information. So, you know, look at that on our show notes. And there will also be links on our website. So check us out. And thanks for listening. We'll be back next time. Discussing Who is brought to you by Audible. You've probably heard of Audible, but just in case, they are the world's leading provider of audiobooks. They have more than 180,000 titles. Let me say that again. 180,000 titles to choose from. Imagine a genre, they've got an audiobook. And these files play on smartphones, Kindles, tablets, in fact, over 500 different devices. Now, for fans of Discussing Who, Audible is offering a free download when you start a new Audible subscription. And you can choose anything at all from that vast library. But we know you want to get one of their absolutely fantastic Doctor Who titles, which include New Adventures of the Doctor, but also Torchwood and River Song. And they're performed for you by actors you know and love. Wonderful voices, Tom Baker, Alex Kingston, David Tennant. The list goes on and on. So try it out for 30 days. And if at the end of the month you decide Audible is not for you, you still get to keep that Doctor Who book you downloaded. So look at it this way. Free Doctor Who book. So here's how you get started. Point your favorite web browser to audibletrial.com slash discussing who. That's audible trial, all one word, A-U-D-I-B-L-E-T-R-I-A-L dot com slash discussing who. Also one word. And that's how you get your free book. What could be better than that? You've been listening to the Discussing Who podcast. Discussing Who is made by fans for fans. No copyright infringement is intended. Show us your fans of the show by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter. You can find us on the web at www.discussingwho.com. Want more Discussing Who? Find us on iTunes, Google Play Music, Player FM, the Doctor Who Podshock Alliance, and more. Send us your feedback to discussingwho at gmail.com, or if you'd like, simply record a voice message and send that to us via your smartphone, tablet, or computer. We want to hear from you. 